Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome to yet another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I am, as always, your host, Daniel Mallory Ortberg, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. This week, my guest is Soleil Ho, restaurant critic for the San Francisco Chronicle. She's also written for a bunch of food and pop culture publications like Bitch, Food and Wine, Taste, and Wine Enthusiast, and she's hosted podcasts like Propaganda and Racist Sandwich. And now, here's our first letter. So, uh, now for something completely different. Uh, our next letter is all you whenever you're ready. Oh, I get to read it? You do. Awesome. Okay. I wish I could read this in an English accent because this person's writing from the UK. Subject, reported friend for driving when unfit. Dear Prudence, a friend of mine had a severe seizure six weeks ago and has continued driving, even though he should have reported this seizure to the DVLA or in the UK. He hasn't had a follow-up examination by a specialist yet. After a series of arguments about this, I reported him myself today. I feel terrible about the situation, not because I did the wrong thing, I don't think I did, but because he's been so irresponsible and reckless in continuing to drive. He's now not talking to me, which is actually fine. Could I have made him see sense? What if he keeps driving? He's made it clear he'll drive again if he has to. I can't wrap my head around why someone would roll the dice like this. This kind of behavior is beyond me. I could with an impartial viewpoint. So I did a little asking around when I read this one because, uh, you know, obviously I know that they're not, they're not writing to me as, as uh, in my capacity as any kind of a medical expert, but I also don't know a lot about seizures. Uh, so I was just on the Epilepsy Society website, which is a UK organization, and I thought it might be helpful to just read a couple of the things that I did learn um, before we kind of dive into what this letter writer might do or might want to reconsider. Um, so there's just a couple of statistics here uh, or facts or what have you, which is um, most seizures happen suddenly without warning, last a short time and stop by themselves. Seizures can be different for each person. Um, just knowing that someone has epilepsy does not tell you what their epilepsy is like or what seizures they have. And to be clear, by the way, it, it does not look to me like um, the letter writer's friend has been diagnosed with epilepsy, which is you know, a meaningful data point. Um, calling seizures major or minor does not tell you what happens to the person during the seizure. The names of the seizure used here describes what happens during the seizure. Uh, some people have more than one type of seizure or their seizures may not fit clearly into the types described here. Not all seizures involve convulsions, which are jerking or shaking mo movements. Some people seem vacant, wander around, or are confused during a seizure. Um, some people have seizures when they're awake. Some people have seizures when they're asleep. Um, injuries can happen during seizures, but many people don't hurt themselves and don't need to go to a hospital uh, or see a doctor. It's also true that anyone can have a seizure if the circumstances are right, but most people don't have seizures under, quote, normal circumstances. Basically, I just kind of want to wrap this up with it is possible and, and not at all uncommon for somebody to have one unexplained seizure throughout the course of their lifetime and then never again. Um, I actually have a friend who within the last year did experience um, a, a kind of out of nowhere seizure and, and has since followed up with a couple of doctors. And it, it appears that that was a sort of one and done thing. 
So I, I just wanted to say all that because I didn't know a lot of that. In in my mind, I had heard seizure and I thought, oh my goodness, this probably means somebody has a condition where now that's going to happen all the time. And it seems like not necessarily is that the case. So I thought that was a little helpful context. Again, very much not a doctor, not even a, a tiny bit of a doctor. Um, I think it would be good for your friend to see one, but I, I thought it would be helpful in clarifying information. Right. I think when you th- when you consider the mainstream idea of seizing, you think of, well, I think of Riverdale, which <laughs> features a lot of seizures this season. Okay. Um, and people are like flailing around and they can't control their body and they like, collapse. Um, you know, there's a certain way the actors act out seizing that, you know, is part of the popular notion of what that means. Um, and so I wonder if that's also part of this letter writer's imagination, that this person, their friend, is just flailing around. Um, or that now that they have had one, right. they are suddenly They're stricken um, about forever. to have one constantly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And ag- again, that's not to say, boy, your friend's doing everything great and you're doing everything wrong. I just mean if six weeks out, you know, if they haven't experienced any side effects, they have not experienced the seizure again – I don't know that I would put it in the category of totally irresponsible and reckless. Right. Yeah, I'm curious about what the friend argued back because they had a series of arguments. But what did the friend have to say about their situation? Um, and, you know, I as I was reading this, I, I thought about my grandmother mm-hmm. who um, had a bunch of strokes. But they were just, you know, it, you couldn't tell. It just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but she didn't want to talk about it. Because she was ashamed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all the fluttering about that her kids did after that, you know, they just were sort of an imposition on her life in a way out of out of love and out of an attempt to take care of her. But still, she felt um, incapable. She felt like she just couldn't do anything on her own. And I wonder if this friend, you know, has a little bit of that, too, because he hasn't gone to see anybody. Um, he's really mad about being reported on and surveilled by this letter writer. Right. Um, and I think there's a bit of of shame there and just humiliation at being ratted out on, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it wasn't super clear to me, that line about he hasn't had a follow-up examination by a specialist yet. I, I read that as one of two ways. One meant he went to the doctor immediately afterwards, but has not yet made us a, a follow-up with like a, a brain or a seizure specialist. Or he hasn't gone to a doctor at all. And if it's, you know, if it's the latter, if it's he hasn't sought any medical attention um, or reported it, I I can understand the concern. And and I think I would slightly less understand the concern if he went to a doctor, the doctor did not seem especially concerned, and he is now just sort of like waiting and watching. Again, it does not seem like he is – suddenly more likely to experience subsequent seizures just because of the first one. So, I, you know, I, I got to say, I just don't know. Maybe this will be the sort of thing where you will just always feel glad that you did it. You know, you, you weighed a couple of different options and you made the choice that seemed right to you. You're OK with the, fr- the fact that your friend is angry with you. I don't know what you could have done super differently aside from maybe saying, I feel um really torn about this, but I think I'm going to report it and and maybe telling your friend in advance could have at least made them feel like you um, respected them enough to say what you were going to do and to experience a conflict beforehand. But, you know, he still might have gotten angry with you. And, and I also wouldn't go so far as to say you definitely shouldn't have done it. 
I don't know what reporting him to the DVLA looks like if they're if they're simply going to like interview him or if there's a chance they could take away his license when it maybe isn't medically necessary. It's complicated. I feel complicated about this one. Right. Yeah. Um, nowhere in the letter does it say that this letter writer cares about this friend. Hmm. And to me, that was the problem. Hmm. Did they report this friend because they cared about him and his welfare or about just his being a menace to society as a driver who had a seizure once? Um, for me, that's complicated, right? Because the, the letter writer says, you know, he's now not talking to me, which is actually fine. Like, you don't sound too torn up about that part. Um, and it almost seems to me like the writer is asking us for permission. Like, I did a good thing, right? Right. You know? Yeah, and, and I just don't know. I, I don't know if this actually falls under the category of, like, if your friend were regularly getting drunk and driving, I would be right there with you. I'd be like, yep, that poses an immediate danger to both himself and other people. If you tried to talk to him about it and he wouldn't stop, I, you know, that's one of the rare situations where I'm, I think, pretty pro-narking. Um, but I, I genuinely don't know. And it, you might find it helpful to talk to your own doctor and ask for advice, like, do you do you think that if a person experiences a single seizure and then six weeks later has not experienced any negative consequences that they are suddenly at risk? How how seriously would you weigh that risk? Um, would you say that that person should be screened before they could drive again, or would you say that that's overly cautious? That might be useful information to get. Um, but basically, what's done is done. You already made the report. Um, whatever is going to happen is now out of your hands. And I think all you can kind of do is acknowledge my friend's angry with me. I made the choice that I made. If he ever wants to discuss it with me, I'll be available for that. And if not, I'm not going to force him. I kind of think that's all you can do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound like the letter writer is asking us how to remain friends with the person. Right. Right. Yeah. It doesn't sound like that's <laughs> something you want. So that's good, right? That's at least clarity. Sounds like you're ready to walk away. Yep. So, Yeah. Yeah. So I guess then, you know, because the question was sort of, I don't understand why someone would roll the dice like this. And and to that, I would just say it's not super clear to me that that he did roll the dice. Maybe maybe he did. Maybe you would hear from a doctor or, or a specialist that this is very um, reckless behavior. Maybe they would say, actually, if a patient of mine presented with this exact you know, set of symptoms or this set of experiences, I would say, I don't think you need to be unduly cautious about this. I would not recommend that you stop driving. I think that this was a, you know, unique one-off. Um, and I don't think it's dangerous for you to be driving. So I can't promise you that you're right and your friend is wrong. I understand where you were coming from. But, you know, if your friend is not normally a reckless person, if your friend is not normally careless of their health, it may be that he did speak to his regular doctor. His doctor was not um, super, super, like, beyond just kind of like, oh, yeah, keep an eye on it. Let me know if you do experience some symptoms, but I'm not necessarily going to recommend that you make a report or see a specialist immediately. And and in that case, you know, your friend didn't think that he was rolling the dice. Right. Um, you know, the point is, right, that we just don't know how much information either of you have. Mm-hmm. And that would color the situation immensely but hopefully you know everything's just gonna be fine no one's gonna die it'll be okay yeah there was oh that's right there was one last kind of statistic on this and again this is the epilepsy society of, of the uk so 
it's 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 not the United States, and there's a, another degree of like different populations there. But uh, it just says that one in twenty people will have a one-off epileptic seizure at some point in their life. Although this does not necessarily mean they have epilepsy. So uh, again, that doesn't mean like just don't worry about it. Who cares? I, I don't mean to present it as like it's not a big deal. Happens all the time. Uh, don't even bother with the follow-up. Uh, just be open-minded. I just mean. I didn't know that, and I think my knee-jerk response, had I not looked some of this stuff up, might be more with the letter writer. Mm. And having done a little bit of investigating, I am now more uncertain. Again, I haven't spoken to a doctor about this, so I just I, – I, I can't give you any more insight into your friend's mind than this. But, yeah, I, I think you did what you did. You feel comfortable with it. It's over. Um, it's It's unlikely that your friend will – have to do much more than like maybe submit what medical information he has or answer a few questions. But what's done is done and the friendship is over. Um, and you both get to move on. Possibly taking the train or the bus. <laughs> I mean, you know, one thing that I kept in mind too as I read the letter is that in the UK, the medical system is a lot different from the US. And so my first thought before I saw the UK part and like really internalize that was like oh man he probably didn't go because it's expensive Mm -hmm. and you know can't afford it like i wouldn't i mean there's things that i have not had checked out because i don't have the money Mm -hmm. but i mean odds are it'd be easy for him to do it and he's probably gone to a doctor because it's like practically free right they just pay monopoly money for doctor's visits there we have now really reached the limits of my expertise (laughs) like i just I, i i couldn't i couldn't speak to that but I am excited to speak to the next question, and I do feel ready to move on if you do. Absolutely. Fabulous. So the subject here is, how long will she keep breastfeeding? Dear Prudence, my girlfriend and I had a baby daughter eight months ago. This is the first baby for both of us. Due to some milk supply issues at the beginning, we have been supplementing breast milk with formula since her first week home. My girlfriend has always nursed the baby, even though most of the baby's food supply has been formula since those early weeks. Now that she's eating solid foods regularly, I thought weaning the baby would be the logical next step. The baby nurses before naps, before sleeping at night, and throughout the night after waking so that she can go back to sleep. My girlfriend has said that she's not really feeding her during those sessions. It's mostly for comfort, as the baby doesn't take a pacifier. I've asked my girlfriend to start weaning, but she is resistant. She says that nursing is part of their, quote, bond, and that weaning her before she's ready to give it up on her own would be detrimental. I can't quite understand the point of continuing nursing if she's not being fed from it. To continue on this path for, quote, comfort just seems unnecessary and likely to prolong the weaning process whenever she does get around to it. I don't want her to be nursing still at age two or three. It's just weird for a kid with teeth to do that. How can I get her to understand that it makes me uncomfortable and that since she's also my daughter, I should have a say in this? Somebody sounds jealous. (laughs) Can I, yeah, can I start with what put me off about this letter? Sure. It's weird to me that this guy never names his baby. Like, he just keeps calling her the baby. Mm. And... You know, maybe that was just what came to mind. But the description that you give here is like, my girlfriend has a baby. And here's all the stuff that she does for the baby. And I'm just curious. You don't say much about what you do or ways in which you two have tried to approach this as a team. And so I'm wondering if kind of the first or only time that you're getting really involved about big picture stuff has been to say, so when are you going to stop breastfeeding her? 
I can understand why she might bristle a little bit at that. Um, and so I, I think for you, the best way to handle this is going to be approach it, like from a position of curiosity and to ask her, you know, what do you get out of this? And to really ask that, not just in a way that's sort of sneering or makes it clear you think it's stupid, but like, I don't think it's totally unreasonable for the mother of an eight-month-old child to say, like, in the middle of the night, I enjoy bonding and comforting the baby. That does not strike me as bizarre. And, you know, I know you're worried about two and three and teeth, but, like, that's not what you're facing right now. You have an eight-month-old baby. Maybe she has, like, a tooth, but that seems a little early, you know. So I I think you have more opportunities here to ask both what are you getting out of this? Tell me more about what those moments are like. And to also truly impartially reflect on how much you are doing in the middle of the night for the baby and whether or not your girlfriend would maybe find it helpful if you were to step up a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my first response to this, my my knee jerk, was, well, I mean, it's not um, your titty that the baby's teeth are on. You know what I mean? Like, right. if the girlfriend's willing to, like, deal with that, because, you don't, you know, I think people don't realize, I don't even know, I've never had a kid, but I know just from seeing pictures, like, when a baby gets on the boob, it's, it kind of hurts, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, you know, she, I don't think your girlfriend would be doing this if she didn't think it was important and she was willing to sacrifice a little bit of her comfort in order to, you know, take care of this child. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I think... It sure makes you uncomfortable, but I think a lot of things make us uncomfortable and we yeah. just sit with that. I yeah. think that's okay. I, I know also that like in the States, it's more common for babies to be weaned closer to six months or a year of age. It's not at all unheard of either globally or in the States for kids to nurse a little bit later. Um, certainly, I have a sense of like, you know, a four and a five-year-old kid nursing would be more inconvenient um, and and, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be wild about that. But again, that's really not what's going on here. So I would just say an eight-month-old kid nursing before naps and in the middle of the night does not strike me as an emergency. Um, As you so wisely pointed out, it is not your titty. Um, And so I think you're going to need to acknowledge that you will defer to her judgment here. And to go from trying to impose your ideas about weirdness here to asking questions, figuring out ways that you can help and support and come alongside your partner rather than ways that you can say, well, it's weird to me now. Um, Stop. I I think that's going to just be a better way forward for you. Right. And I think I'm I'm picking up when when I read the letter on some language that I think would betray a little bit of the writer's mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, the word logical. Yeah. You know, weaning the baby would be a logical next step. Or to continue on this path for comfort, and that's there's quotes around the word comfort. Right. The only words that had quotes around them were bond and comfort. Right. And I'm just, I, I get that you're probably quoting her, but also, like, those are real and important things. Those aren't just made-up nonsense. Right. Um, you know, and, and, you know, comfort seems unnecessary. Um and weird, right? Um, I think that speaks to a binaristic way of thinking on the writer's part that they should maybe like sit back on and like really reflect upon. It's some things go beyond logic and some things aren't necessarily practical, but they are important. It doesn't mean that they're bad because they're not logical or, you know, necessary. I think it's not necessary to have a good relationship with your child. 
as long as it's, al- it's alive by the end of it, right? But it would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just like, uh, you know, you say it's just weird for a kid with teeth to nurse. A lot of kids have some teeth when they nurse some. It's kind of famously an issue that a lot of people have to deal with is the teeth part. There's a there's a long range in between a baby getting their very first tooth and being able to comfortably comfortably eat a lot of solid foods. So it's not just like, oh, one tooth, no baby should ever breastfeed again. Um, that That's more of a spectrum and a timeline than it is a hard and fast rule. And ultimately, the people making this decision the person making this decision really needs to be your girlfriend. So um, you have already communicated your thoughts here. She knows what you think. Um, Right now, it doesn't sound like it's either interrupting your schedule or making your life more difficult. So I would redirect a lot of this energy into just sort of like saying this feels weird. We should only adhere to the path of logic. Um, What is this comfort? What kind of eight-month-old baby needs comfort? All of them. They all need comfort. Um, and, And yeah, just redirect Ask more open-ended questions. Listen. Offer to do some more middle-of-the-night feedings if it's that important to you that the baby get used to sleeping through the night without taking the breast. Um, and let your wife occasionally sleep through the night. I'm sorry, your girlfriend, because you've chosen to... Sorry, I'm. Uh, this is me getting real old-fashioned and just like, <laughs> you're having a baby, but you're not marrying her? Lots of people have babies without getting married. It's totally fine. Um, I think I'm just tending to read a little into this because of the way that he's talking about his girlfriend and his baby of like there's a bit of distance there yeah and i'm just like step up like own your part in this and your part shouldn't just be like arbitrarily deciding when stuff gets weird your part should be um like she's investing parts of her body and her time into this child and this relationship and i want to know that you are trying to get similar amounts of skin in the game it does not have to involve you know getting married but it should involve something um that does not necessarily come super easily or immediately to you. You should be, you know, joining her in more of this. And once you've communicated your thoughts around weaning and she has said, thank you, I will take that under advisement and continue doing what I'm doing, you should not uh, continue your strategy of, it's weird, it's weird, stop, stop, stop. Right. Um, it, and, you know, logically, if this letter writer is picking up the baby when the baby wakes up half of the time mm-hmm. or the bulk of the time mm-hmm. and comforting her in the way that they know mm-hmm. and it's effective, then that's great too. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yep. So I'll just end with, you know, I don't understand the point of continuing nursing if she's not being fed. We know she's not mostly getting fed, but she says she's not really feeding, not she's not feeding at all. So there is a small but potentially not insignificant amount of milk that she gets from that. Um, you know that it provides the two of them with a stronger bond, which is important when you are the parent of the baby, um, and then it comforts the child. So those are three reasons right there when you think this is just pure nonsense that does nothing. You know it does at least three things. You might not get the same things out of that experience because you are neither the breastfeeder nor the breastfeedee, but they still exist. Um, and there's more to uh, taking care of a baby than simply what is the most logical. You don't want to go like full wire mother on this. Like, <laughs> um, and you know everyone likes a midnight snack. I mean, yeah. So I, I would just say worry a little bit less. Listen a little bit more. Um, you've already made your opinion known. 
if at three years old, the you know, the kid has not started weaning, absolutely, you can revisit this with your partner. Um, but don't don't create problems that don't yet exist, I think. Whew. All right. Good luck. Let us know how this conversation goes. It kind of sounds like this is the first time you two have talked about what's our plan for breastfeeding. And I think just generally you should often have sort of like strategy sessions as parents of like, what's our plan? And you both get a chance to speak and share your ideas and you don't just immediately shut one another down. Yeah. And if you have elder parents available and happy to talk about this, I suggest asking them for advice, too, because they've been through it, you know, obviously with you Mm -hmm. and your girlfriend. Um, And I'm sure that they have a wealth of advice to give, you know. Yeah. Well, (laughs) thank you, by the way, for bearing with me as I'm like going full old school, like you should marry her. You had a baby. (laughs) Sorry. At Uh, least you didn't call it a bastard. uh, No, 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 no. Oh, my goodness. No, 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 no. Not some Game of Thrones shit right there. Not at all. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. 